So, continuing my story of Roy. So then there was the orange tree. It was in the left-hand corner of the yard. It looked like an ordinary orange tree, but this tree had a presence. It was a very scary presence. I didn't know exactly why at first, but it's like an invisible force was drawing me to the tree. I couldn't see any immediate danger, but something felt eerie and spooky about this tree. I felt it in the pit of my stomach. My intuition told me this tree had negative energy. And it was an, a very, very like negative feeling of like evil. And to the ones who are not there, this story is a true story. This is nothing fictional about this story. It is my first-hand account of what I visually seen and felt through my soul. And when you read this, it might be diluted through your mind, but this experience was meant for me and I went through it. And anybody who has been through an experience like mine knows. And I don't mean like the beginning of the story explaining about my dad, what he put me through. But what I tell you now, I say this wholehearted that I have never been through an experience like this before. And thank God never again. So after I walk up to the tree... I feel something is awful feeling, but I still look around in curiosity. The orange tree had branches so long that they touched the ground because my blind uncle had been living alone. And since he couldn't see, plus nobody else was around, he just let the branches grow as long as they wanted. So I walked under the tree and looked inside all around by the tree trunk. and But my intuition told me I should get away and stay away from this tree because I might be in grave danger. So I ran away from under the tree and, and I didn't think anything else about it until two nights later. So my uncle and my mom just finished, you know, talking and he showed me and my mom the rest of the house. And my uncle's room was on the right side of the house. Um, he had the master bedroom and his own restroom and my mom's room was across from his and and my room was in the middle of the hallway across from the hallway restroom so I felt happy and relieved from my dad's tyranny so the next morning my uncle John was up early getting ready to make breakfast and I had no knowledge how to cook yet so my uncle asked me if I want to learn how to cook plus would I like to help and I said yes and it sounded fun just being involved with food sounded very appealing since being starved by my dad most of the time. And my uncle taught me how to cook scrambled eggs, sunny side up eggs, over easy eggs, French toast, tree sewn eggs, smothered liver and onions. And it seemed so perfect. Then the next day I, <clears throat> I met my first best friend. His name was Roy, <clears throat> but not the same Roy I was talking about earlier, but my new best friend Roy lived next door in the house next to my uncle's house. So he lived only with his dad and I never seen that he had a mom. Not once did I ever see a woman over there, just Roy and his dad. But his dad had a lot of people going in the backyard, you know, which by the way was like three times bigger than my uncle's backyard. Roy's dad's yard was full of cars and he was working on them. He was, I guess, a car mechanic and sold cars and did work on cars. And so I met Roy in the backyard, but it, <clears throat> I was not in, in the backyard. 
I was up on a ladder. That is how I seen what his dad's backyard looked like. So I was up on this ladder looking to Roy's dad's backyard and I still haven't met Roy yet. So there comes out this skinny kid with blonde hair and blue eyes and he introduced himself as Roy and we both just clicked somehow and we had some things in common as far as toys collected and other aspects. And we both confirmed that we were new best friends. But Roy said he had to be careful because his dad caught us talking. He would be in deep shit. So he spoke carefully. Then the next night I was in a dream. It was a series of dreams that went on for almost two years. And there were like no other dreams I had ever been through and I had a lot of nightmares growing up but none were as vivid and surreal as these dreams nothing ever gripped my soul like these ones when I woke from nightmares that were scary I always knew and felt that they were just dreams but these particular dreams had a presence and a lasting presence when I woke from these dreams I knew it wasn't over and I knew something evil was waiting for me in the dream room this was like some real nightmare in Elm Street shit and the first dream was the scariest and most gory. And this thing made a grand introduction. And I call this thing... Well, I call this thing Roy because it introduced itself as Roy. But it looked nothing and acted nothing like my best friend Roy next door. There was nothing human about this thing at all. I've had my fair share of paranormal research everything that this entity points to demon and everything about its characteristics was demonic its behavior its presence its energy all pointed to demon it was by far the scariest series of nightmares scarier than any conscious event i ever went through so in the dream i get out of my bed and walk through the hallway through the living room out of the sliding glass door that leads to the backyard where actually there was three entrances to the backyard there was the side garage entrance the garage also had another entrance through the center and then plus there was the living room entrance <clears throat> so here i am walking through the backyard to the orange tree it was like again like an invisible force was summoning me there and it was kind of foggy. Everything looked dark and gloomy. And there was lightning. But it was weird because there was no thunder sound. It was just lightning. So I see this the tree moving around all crazy. Like, like if a lost dog was jumping around and ruffling the branches. And the orange, you know, the oranges that usually were orange and healthy were like all rotting, turning green and black. And I got closer and I noticed that it looked like a small person, but I wasn't 100% sure what it was. It was just moving and running around in circles around the stem of the tree, you know, from underneath and behind the branches that touched to the floor. And at first I thought maybe, well, maybe as I got closer, it looked like it was a boy my age, you know, that wanted to play and be friends. So whatever the thing was, I, I it wouldn't stop moving or stay still, but it was hiding its true identity like where I couldn't see it until I got close enough so I'm really close now right in front of the orange tree and whatever was hiding behind the branches was laughing so I responded with who are you who whoever you are come out and show yourself let me see your face and oh my god walked out was like this thing it had like the body of 
of a little boy with kids clothes but its face was the most scariest most hideous face i had ever seen it had a face and personality from the darkest hellish dreams you could ever imagine it had the most evil scary gory eyes i had ever seen they were solid blood red they were all red all the way through the entire eyes it had like no pupils just solid red blood eyes that were looking blood just leaking blood constantly i mean from the corners just non-stop like never-ending blood just leaking and leaking and dripping from its eyes and it would stare and like I knew it would be staring at me like it was staring right at me but it had no pupils it just had this evil dead stare and its mouth was as wide as a football it had rows and rows of long jagged sharp teeth and there was blood also constantly dripping and oozing from the mouth and gums also like a non-stop supply of blood it had black hair with like a bowl-looking haircut. It was wearing kids' dark blue denim colored jeans. It was wearing kids' shoes that were white and had blood-red shoelaces. It was wearing all turtleneck shirt and multiple color stripes, and one of the stripes of the shirt pattern was blood-red. And over the turtleneck, it was wearing an orange, like, sleeveless snow jacket. almost looked like actually like a water rafting jacket. I remember... I asked the first questions and I asked with a scared jitter of voice like if I was cold having the chills and I'm trying to talk and almost too scared and freaked out by what I was visually seeing. I said, who are you and what are you? And it laughed with an evil smirk and on its face and it replied, my name is Roy. And then I said, you're not Roy because Roy is not ugly and scary like you. When this thing spoke, it sounded like thousands of people saying the same thing at the same time. And that is because it was a soul eater, a soul devourer. Then it said, yes, I am Roy. Yes, me, it's your friend Roy. Then I said, and then it said, Bruce, you know, and I said, what? And it said, then it said, I'm going to bite you, chew you up into little pieces and swallow you and devour your soul and it's going to hurt real bad and I was tripping out because this thing knew my name it also said after it devours me I will be in infinite misery forever for an eternity it said I will be trapped inside it forever and it showed me a vision in my mind like via mental telepathy, a horrifying vision of all these people's souls it had already devoured. And there were thousands trapped inside this thing. And there was, they were all crying and yelling in misery. And there was even grown adults and stuff it had devoured. And I thought to myself, I did not stand a chance because here I am, this little child. And this thing has already devoured full grown adults and other children. And they were all saying, help, let us out of here followed by in torment, misery, and pain. And I was only five years old when this was happening at this point in my life. I had never heard <clears throat> of a demon, seen a picture or movie that showed a demon. I had no idea or concept of, of what a demon was or anything about anything demonic by nature. And I also never heard of or understood what it means to devour one's soul prior to this thing introducing me to the concept. And like I was saying, 
this thing had a psychic link to my mind. I didn't have to say, it didn't have to say much or explain itself twice with detail to get its point across through its power of mental telepathy. I knew exactly what it meant. It's like we were communicating through our third eye. And so there I am standing in the backyard in in my pajamas in front of, you know, on, on the right side of the orange tree, I, I, which I considered to be my right as well. I was so scared that <clears throat> I felt like I was going to piss my pants. I was beyond scared of this inhuman looking, behaving, demonic in every aspect in its being. If there was a more terrifying level of fear, I was feeling it. This thing had an energy and presence unlike anything I had ever encountered in my whole existence. And this thing was the most evil thing I had ever came across when it was staring at me. It was the most lifeless look of death and pure evil. I never felt a feeling of hate that strong. And these feelings I was feeling were so unusual and awful, so beyond extreme negativity. It made me sick. Such extreme violence, such an undying, never-ending desire for power and hunger to devour souls. So I said to it in a shaky, scared voice, You can't eat me. You're too small to chew me up. I won't even fit in your mouth. You're too little. And it said, Watch this, Bruce. And its mouth started growing like really rapidly wide and so wide that its skin started stretching and ripping and gave way it started just ripping and splitting open from its mouth growing so much wider and there was so much more blood and for a second it kind of almost did look like Roy but I knew it wasn't Roy it was pretending to be Roy and it was transforming this, this, this creature boy thing was transforming even crazier its mouth was growing and it, it was creating more blood so much its eyes and mouth and gums were leaking blood like a faucet non-stop and I can see more rows of sharp like jagged teeth creepy looking teeth growing out so much blood leaking out of its ears and it started throwing up massive amounts of blood while blood was also gushing like a fountain out of its nose and I was watching this thing in the most vivid horrifying vision ever transform right in front of my eyes and I watch its mouth about four feet wide past each shoulder length on each side, its mouth was huge, like the size of a megalodon shark. And at that point, it demonstrated very clear that it could chew me up, swallow me, and devour my soul. I seen a light coming from the down its throat, and I seen rows and rows of teeth that went all the way down its throat and esophagus as well. It was showing me my place, my spot it reserved just for me, and I was not going. So it lunged at me. And I turned around real quick with intense fear and terror running through my soul. And I could feel my heart racing fast. And as soon as I got to the sliding glass door to the living room, to the entrance of the living room, um, this thing was only like two inches away from my shoulder grabbing me. And I snapped. I woke up out of the nightmare and I felt this worse nausea come over my stomach. And I got sick and I threw up. And I just, I had this most horrible feeling of terror and there was like this dark presence over my room and something was telling me deep in the pit of my stomach that this was not over like I had this feeling like something really bad was going to happen like I had been cursed or, or hexed or something and 
also at the same time when I, I woke up, just a couple seconds before I got sick and had this uncontrollable desire to throw up, I seen this dark shadow withdrawing from my room, traveling straight through the room of my wall, and the, the wall of my room. Um, apparitions have the ability to do things like that, but even though it looked like it was withdrawing back to the orange tree, I still felt a dark energy hovering around my room. After I threw up, I yelled and screamed for my mom, and I kept calling her name frantically and in panicking. Just I was crying, and she finally gets up and comes to my room and turns on the lights and said, What's wrong? And I told my mom, There is this creature in my dreams. It's real. It's trying to kill me. She thought I was just, it was my wild imagination again, but this this was real. This was like no other dreams I'd ever been through, and you know, I told my mom it said it was going to devour my soul. And my mom kind of like noticed I've never really used that word before and never even knew of that concept. You never even used it in a sense before, but she still didn't believe me. She tried her best to understand me, but I don't think she really believed me still at that time. And she kissed me on the head and said everything is going to be okay. And it was just a nightmare and she was leaving to go back to bed and I was going to turn... She was going to turn the light off and I screamed, no, please leave the light on. I remember I yelled and I've never been through nightmares that looked this vivid, you know, or looked this real before in my whole life. There was something different about these dreams that had a lasting effect, like something was trying to grip my soul from the other side. And I just felt this dark presence when I was not asleep, especially at night. I, I had no concept whatsoever of a demon or anything that scary or gory prior to these nightmares and there was no way I could have just spawned this out of my imagination I never even thought about anything like that I had no prior training or concept of anything demonic not even close to anything like that I do not know why it was a feeling I had running through my soul that if th this demonic thing got its hands on me in the dream that I would die somehow in reality I stayed up the rest of the night. I could not go back to sleep after that crazy shit. And my instincts, my, my intuition told me that this is not over. So the next day I seen the other Roy, my best friend, and I told him about what happened. And even though I, I kind of knew it wasn't him, I still asked him anyway. I, I told him I had these dreams and I said um, I was attacked. And I, and I asked him, I said, was that you? Were you in my dreams? Were you that demon that attacked me? And stuff and and uh actually i didn't even call it a demon yet i just said were you that creature that attacked me and roy says you know and what this was was weird because roy said the next thing he said was possibly it was a demon and that left me feeling odd because that time i had no idea what a demon was but pretty much knew it was not him Based on how it looked and acted, nothing like Roy, and had a totally different energy. But it was just he it seemed like Roy had known so much about like demons or something. He just knew he had some kind of education about what a demon was, and that's what you know was just kind of odd to me that he had that you know that kind of education or whatever. So then Roy randomly tells me out of nowhere, you know, be careful. Again, because his dad, he explained, you know, that he'd be in trouble. 
And um, if you got caught talking to me, and guess what? It's, it's, his dad walks out and sees him talking to me, and his dad says with an angry voice to come over to him. And five minutes later, his dad comes back out and starts yelling in my mom's face, saying, Roy's not to hang out with me or talk to me ever again. And my mom asked why, and he had no reason. He, he felt like explaining to us, and my mom thought he just might be racist because him having blonde hair and blue eyes and rocking the Confederate flag in his car window and in front of his house. But, the you know, the Confederate flag doesn't mean that a person is racist, but it happens that a lot of people in the past represented that flag, happened to be rep racist people. So I, I did not see... Roy for like two weeks after that I was wondering what happened to to my best friend I even went over in front of his house I remember when my mom didn't even know about it I was in the front yard playing and I just went over there to peek in through the front windows to see if I could see anything but the windows of the house were so tinted black you could not see anything inside what was it whatever was in there so finally Roy walks out of his house one morning after it had been like two weeks later with his dad early in the morning so his dad could take him to school, and I don't know why, but for some reason his dad was not just hiding and keeping Roy from me, but he was keeping Roy from everybody. I mean, nobody ever went over to Roy's house, not even, not ever. He had no other friends, just every once in, in a while, another white man with blonde hair, blue eyes would show up. He looked around the same age as Roy's dad, and they would go to this little building in the back of, you know, Roy's dad's yard in the backyard this building was so completely it was small it was and the windows also were so tinted black that you couldn't see through the windows there either and to me the building kind of looked like from the outside looked like a like a chapel of some kind but but it was really mysterious the man would come over to visit Roy him and his dad always had a black book in his hand I don't know what it was about but I have a feeling to this day it was a book of black magic ceremonies or something. I could be wrong totally. I mean, I'm just, it just seemed like they were in the closet black magic practitioners or something like that. Just the way they carried themselves and, you know, the fact that his dad was so secretive and he was always looked angry like some dark aura was over him and because he never smiled, not once. Plus the fact that he had an extra little chapel looking building in the back that he would be very secretive there was just something off about his behavior and so here it is the next night I'm going to sleep and there it is in my dreams again it was flossing its clothes and standing on the kitchen counter and it chased me again through the entire house I mean every room in the, in the kitchen through the garage into the backyard it was a long crazy chase you know i even remember hurtling over the freaking uh this this uh divider thing that divided the the living room from the dining area and it you know it chased me all through the garage in and out through the you know through this car that was my uncle's even my uncle didn't drive he owned a car that was just sitting in the in the garage all the time it, nobody never drove it except for my mom and, um, you know, it threatened to hang me back in the closet and torture me like my dad used to do. And it just said awful things. And, 
it would lie and manipulate me. It would offer me all the toys I wanted. It would, you know, if I would just go up to this thing, and it, it was really crafty. It tried to lure me close to in different ways and even would try and catch me off guard to try and devour my soul. I would be walking in a dream and it would jump out from a corner of a room or a window reflection from a mirror. It would just jump out of the refrigerator. This thing would chase me endlessly. It would just seem like it would never run out of energy of chasing me. And I, you know, I remember, you know, other few nightmares that I was going to devour, it was going to devour my soul. It even told me that no matter what I did, I belonged to it. On a different nightmare, I, I, I see my mom sitting on the grass by this lake. And when I go over to her to give her a hug and all of a sudden what was my mom had morphed back into this demon it tried to grab me again but I moved away too quick just so I'm ready that can get a better understand uh, understanding this thing was in my dreams almost every night for two years straight I could not get rid of this thing it preyed on me in my dream in the dream realm and just exactly how Freddy Krueger worked in Nightmare on Elm Street, it fed off my fear. The more I feared it, the more powerful it became. But one thing that kind of blows my mind is, and I know it's just a coincidence, but my nightmares started in around late 1983 and they ended in August of 1985. And Nightmares on Elm Street was released on November 1985 and I know that's pure coincidence I don't feel there's any connection at all but it was a trippy timeline and just the fact that this thing operated on the same level and anyway back to this shitty little thing and my nightmares the first year it was the most powerful it was most creative in that first year I remember I was so scared that I was telling everybody I possibly could my mom again of course in fact my mom heard it the most I kept telling her and telling her this thing is still haunting my dreams every night, threatening to devour my soul. And my mother used to have to drag me to bed and restrain me. I would try and kick and push away to try and get out of my mom's grasp because she was too strong, you know, for me at that time. But I could not get away, you know, out of her arms. And I could, because I would try and run. And so I did not have to go to bed. But because since I was used to running in my dreams all the time that's all I really knew so I would fight to get out of my mom's grip till I was so tired I would pass out but there was many nights I would not sleep I told my aunties my uncles I told my grandpa I even told my Sunday school teacher from church I told the pastor I told everybody I came in contact with and another night I was in a nightmare I, I was in a, in a car and all of a sudden I looked up and it was the demon creature driving the car and I jumped out and ran it and it chased me and it started gaining some, I, I started gaining some strength in my mind because I was so used to evading and escaping this thing as I, as it was creative. So I did have to be even more creative. I was getting used to this thing. It was like every night constantly chasing me around. So I was getting more creative. This, this thing had experience. And I, I, it knew how to manipulate in the dream realm. And my mom finally started believing me because, you know, I was so persistent with my story. And so my mom 
spoke to the pastor and said to bring me the pastor said bring me to the church and everybody in the church put hands on me and prayed and for me and they prayed for any evil to come out of me and in my life the pastor also came to the house and he supposedly went around in every room of the house and he said he prayed for the evil to leave and prayed for blessings upon our home and the pastor said he didn't feel any kind of bad presence there and I didn't he didn't you know I was like I didn't feel the presence till it was late at night close to when it was going to be asleep you know I knew when it it knew when to come around and I didn't like the fact that the pastor wanted me to go and me and my mom to wait in the dining room and I remember I asked my mom if he it, it, um if she really thinks he prayed and I asked my mom to ask the pastor what he did and I remember I snuck over to the hallway and I remember I seen the pastor going through my mom's dresser door, drawers as I as and I very discreetly quietly watched him and I didn't say anything to my mom until he left because I didn't know how my mom would react and this guy is supposed to be the head pastor of our church well what do you know my mom was complaining of money missing and I remember my, my mom asking me in a shocked upset voice saying why did you not tell what I not, why did I not tell her when he was still there and I told her I it was because I did not want to start a fight and I did not know how my mom was going to react and I did not know how the pastor would react and our church was going to react so I I thought it would be wiser if I just waited until he left okay we'll stop right here continuing my story of Roy so I thought it'd be wiser and waited till he left I wanted to keep the peace and even though my mom was a kind-hearted gentle beautiful soul she would have stood up for herself and demanded her money back my mom was used to fighting with my dad and he was way crazier so my mom would have not minded a conflict as much as I did so I'm glad I waited you know because my mom would have flipped out and she was pissed because all the hardship and struggle she had went through and with my dad and she worked extra hard and had to try and take care of me at the same time with all my issues from being abused and I remember when I got older my mom thought that I was mad at her and you know I kind of was because I asked her why didn't she protect me from my dad and you know we cried and held each other and my mom you know his mom and son and I told my mom you know I know that she tried her best and you know we had nowhere to go either and I for you know I forgave my mom before she passed away and I made sure that she knew that so that she didn't pass with a burdened heart because I still love my mom very much till this very day and for a while my mom and my grandpa my grandma Chase um, my mom's mom my grandma Chase and who is a great woman still alive today well her and my grandpa Gil turned their back on my mom because for a while because they never agreed for my mom to be with my dad in the first place and not that it was their decision to make but they did not approve of my dad because he was rude and had a violent background and was drug addicted plus he threatened to kill my grandpa one time and so my grandpa didn't like him very much my grandpa uh, um, Alfred Gill, rest in peace, died from old age. Him and my grandma Rosemary Chase were also both blind, but 
My my grandpa Gil is one of the reasons my uncle John and Aunt Gina became my adopted family because my grandpa and uncle John were good friends and they worked doing the same job. And the other reason is my mom and my good um, is good friends with my aunt Gina. That is because um, my mom and aunt Gina and my aunt Chris graduated from the same nursing school. And now <clears throat> I might have mentioned I don't oh no I didn't mention that yet. They went to the same nursing school, but anyway, <clears throat> so back to my mom and the pastor. She thought about it for a few days and was debating on the bring it up at the church in front of everyone, and she did, and it backfired. The church took the pastor's side. It was clear that the whole congregation was on his side, so my mom stopped taking us to that church, and just in case if you wondered, I took a break for talking about the demon Roy, it never had left there. It still stayed in my life for another six months after the church prayed on me and after the pastor supposedly prayed. So that same night after the pastor left, I was in a dream eating, you know, at the dining room table. And I look up and it's Roy sitting across the table from me and he laughs, gets up and starts chasing me just like every other night, except that time it chased me for blocks and blocks up the street. I would continue to run and run and get away in, you know, a random car. I got into a random car thinking I would get away and it would be already sitting in the car ready to drive. In my nightmares, I would I would fight with every creative thought that I could. I constantly felt like I was in the fight of my life. You know, I eventually told myself I'm going to die. This thing is never going to stop until it gets my soul. But then one night I escaped it pretty easy. And I felt like I was getting stronger and more creative and I felt a little less fearful. Its presence became even weaker. It was running out of ideas. It started showing up less. And one time in Nightmare, I did not see the creature almost the whole time till the very end when I was walking past this field of pumpkins and I was, I looked very far across the field. It was so far that I could barely see it, but its eyes started glowing up and its mouth was glowing and I seen it. It opens its mouth with a gesture to let me know it was still there. So I knew for sure it wasn't it was getting weaker, like its power was fading because it was I was seeing it less of it and it was not feeding I was not feeding it as much fear as I was in the first year. So the last final nightmare it tried to pretend it was somebody else. It tried to pretend to be my mom. No not my mom, but my aunt Chris. It was and I see, okay, was pretending to be my Aunt Chris. It was pretending to be her with a basket of food as I seen, as soon as I got closer to grab what looked like a basket full of treats, it was holding the basket and it tried to grab me, but I got away just barely. Then it tried one more time to pretend to be my mom, but it was so weak at that point that it did not have the power to fully disguise itself. I seen my mother again. She was standing by my Aunt Gina and stuff, but I could see that she had like teeth, like jagged, sharp teeth. And so I can tell it was the creature, you know. It, you know, it had the mouth full of blood, and I knew it was Roy again, trying one last pathetic attack. At least that's how I seen it because I was used to this thing being sneaky and clever, but now it was not even hiding itself as well. So I'm feeling bolder than I ever felt. And even though I knew it was not my mom, I decided this time to walk up 
knowing it was Roy this time looking like my mom, but I was extra ready to move, you know, run or maneuver away from the thing if needed. And just like I thought, it turned from my mom even uglier and horrifying looking. And out of nowhere, I seen a giant hand that looked like it was a giant marble stone hand. It looked like a father's hand or something. It was the size of like a house, man. It was huge. It, you know, it all it had fingernails that were regular except for the index finger, which was pointing straight down with a long, sharp nail. It pinned the demon creature down like nothing, and all of a sudden, I'm moving further away while the demon was pounding its fists and crying like a little baby because it could not haunt me anymore, and the giant hand took that thing away, and I never, ever seen it again. Until this day, I believe it was a divine intervention. It was like the hand of God pinning this thing down and taking it away. And I finally see my friend Roy who lived next door. Not the demon Roy, but my friend, the kid who was, you know, two years older than me. And I asked Roy about that, you know, about that back house that looked like a chapel. And I asked him what goes on there because I seen him and his dad and, and one other man on occasion go in, in and out of there and they were always discreet and very secretive Roy would not tell me anything for anything I even offered him all of my toys you know I would just come on just tell him just tell me one little detail one little thing that goes on there and he would not tell me not one little thing you know not one little shred of detail and he would tell me about what happened there his loyalty was sealed and I don't know why, but I had this strange feeling or intuition that his dad was into some kind of really dark magic, maybe even sacrificing kids or something like that. He, he just had this really dark aura over him all the time and this energy surrounding him. And it looked, he always looked angry and unhappy and he looked afflicted. And they say that people that tap into evil unseen forces of black magic, that it comes back to that person so many fold and... You know, that's kind of like how his dad might have looked. He just had this feeling like he was never happy. And, you know, I don't know exactly how this demon came about, you know. And this was, a, I just know this was more real than any other dreams I had ever been through. It had a lasting presence that I felt like nothing ever before in my whole life. And so after pondering on this thing and, analyzing every little detail for years i had done extensive research on paranormal and on hauntings of demons and watched many documentaries on real possession cases and hauntings and what i came to discover is evil spirits like demons are low vibrational spirits unlike jesus christ who was a very high vibrational spirit because of his level of love and happiness and understanding but demons are full of hate and fear and all awful feelings and one could carry to the maximum and that makes them low vibrational spirits but they still are very powerful and they draw their power from a very evil source it also i also found out that when people die in very horrible terrifying unfortunate ways that they die in extreme fear sometimes and that makes them low vibrational beings at that time they died and demons are attracted to other low vibrational beings it's almost like they sense you and then they seek you out and so so sometimes 
for whatever reason, that person remained like that and did not go with God or God took the good copy of that person or whatever and left the bad part of that person there to go to hell. I don't know, but here, you know, here comes a demon to prey on an unfortunate soul that just passed and is low vibrational and has no idea of this dark, powerful being that is about to devour their soul. Or the poor soul now has a demon attached to it. One scenario that I ran through my that ran through my head after studying and pondering every aspect of what happened is that Roy's dad, you know, not just being into black magic, but maybe he really did sacrifice a kid and that in that back house as an offering and that poor unfortunate boy fell victim to a demon and it happened to show up I happened to show up in the area when the demon was collecting the boy and then the demon sensed my fear and affliction and figured it would collect me as well since you know I was an easy target but it did not I did not let this demon beat my will into submission because that's how they operate they try to find easier targets people that are already hurting and afflicted by negative feelings and energy and they use that whatever abilities of the dark side they possess and they use them to beat that already afflicted soul into submission so they can possess and devour that person's soul and me being young innocent boy who was full of fear and was majorly afflicted by, by the extreme abuse my dad put me through made me a prime target for a demon and with my uncle being blind and living in by himself Roy's dad or anybody could have easily buried a young boy's body under my uncle John's orange tree and nobody would have known it unless they seen him do it but highly unlikely considering the situation and there was an area right under the orange tree on the left side of the that looked like the the dirt had been disturbed you know, and I didn't think about this till later, you know, but the dirt looked like it had possibly been dug up and put back. And at that time, all this was happening. I didn't have the education on, on, on anything that was going on, you know, of this nature. I did not understand anything that deep on a spiritual level yet, you know, except my first dose of deeper spiritual understanding came from the demon threatening to devour my soul. Because I I did not know about or understand that concept till it had been taught to me, and like I said, it was like an instant transfer of knowledge and understanding right from its mind to mine. I I could be wrong about a young boy getting sacrificed to dark magic, but I could also it could also explain why I felt a weird dark energy coming from that orange tree. I also you know explain why several times the demon would appear from the tree like it lived there like it was the headquarters of this thing or something and you know in some dreams i would just see the thing hiding in the tree looking at me like it was just hiding in and biding its time on when it was going to get me and catch me slipping so i know somehow you reading this do not believe in demons or evil spirits but that does not mean that they do not exist I can assure you they do. I just lack the evidence to prove it. But that is my story of my real life experiences I went through as a young child. And I was given, it's given me strength to push forward and to do, you know, right and give love from my heart to others. To have compassion and understanding on a higher level than the average person. And 
as you have read, now you can have a better understanding of why I write dark poetry. My style was formed through my experiences and my style of poetry does not reflect my level of love or how I treat people. I know right from wrong and I know good from evil. And the path I choose is love, but writing about dark evil things and rhymes is one of my talents and that's my story. Hi, my name is Bruce. This is my um, real life story. You know, my account of my life when I was four, five, and six. Um, I call it Roy because there was two Roys I knew in this period of my life. And so, all right. It was the year 1982. I was living with my mom and my dad in El Monte, California. And my name is Bruce. Bruce Y. My, my life has been far from ordinary. But right now, I'm going to focus only on the things from when I was four, five, and six years old. Um, since around the time I was four years old, it was the time I really started to retain information. Um, everything else before that was a blur, except for the time I was three years old. I have a faint memory of being at some park. I think it was the Arboretum, you know, where they feed animals and you could feed like goats and sheep and at the park and I remember my dad pushing me on the swing set it was one of the only days my dad seemed happy and he was not abusing me on that day surprisingly <clears throat> enduring cruelty and abuse was the usual experience with my dad the first incident of abuse with my dad was when <clears throat> my dad babysat me for some time but for the first time I was in my room playing with uh, my toy blocks and playing with my black cat named Lady and my dad abruptly swings open the door and asks me what I was doing. Next thing, he hits me on the temple as hard as he could with his steel toe boot for no reason at all. I remember it hurt bad. I started crying hard and I could barely breathe. And he hit me in the temple when I wasn't looking. <clears throat> so my dad would punch me and slap me on a regular basis, but... On a good day, I would get to watch martial arts movies with my dad. Um, we watched all the Bruce Lee movies, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues shows, um, and multiple other martial arts movies. But um, I couldn't always watch them in peace because sometimes when I would you know, be really into a movie scene, my dad would burn me on my legs, my neck, and my ears with his hot lighter. He would light his lighter and hold it until the metal piece at the tip of the lighter was burning hot then he would touch me with it he would laugh because he got a kick out of torturing and tormenting me and on the really sickening days he would take me into the restroom and force me to watch him in the mirror shoot drugs in his arm <clears throat> when I would try to look away he would grab my top of my head and forcefully turn my head back to facing him shoot his drugs he would molest me and force me to watch him masturbate I felt sickened for going through that. I felt ashamed and was confused by my dad's bizarre, cruel, and not very normal behavior at all. To me, in my small world at that time, he was the devil, the ultimate terror. And even though <clears throat> my dad was so sick of a fuck, he was a decent fighter at least. He won most of his fights he got into and he was in a lot because he would start shit with people. He would walk up to his brother and my uncle 
you know, and say, come on, let's fight. And he did that with other people too. But then there was my cousin, Anthony, rest in peace. He was a fantastic artist as I am. And he, he knew martial arts and he'd been to prison before. And, but he was my, he was way cooler than my dad. And he didn't put up with my dad's shit. My cousin, Anthony was one of the people my dad could not beat up. They were pretty close even though, but my, when my cousin Anthony went back to prison, then he died from hep C, which I am a survivor of myself, thanks to Harvoni. But um, back to my dad, used to beat up my uncle Coney until one day my uncle Coney came back from the military and my dad um, <clears throat> thought he could still just pick on my uncle and my uncle told my dad to leave him alone and he wouldn't. So my uncle Coney smacked him in the head with a heavy flashlight and almost killed my dad, but somebody stopped him. I don't remember who it was. But I also remember one night my mom was up worried sick about my dad because she had been waiting for him to come home for a while. Plus, it was getting really late and it was raining. So my dad comes bursting in the front door with blood all over his shirt and he had a knife in his hand. And I remember my mom rushing to his aid like a true concerned nurse and wife. And my mom checked my dad's torso out to see if he was hurt. But my dad was just fine. It was not even his blood. But knowing how crazy my dad was, I had the feeling he might have stabbed somebody, possibly killed someone. Because he had a lot of blood on his shirt. It looked like someone's arteries had sprayed all over him. And to make things worse, my adopted aunt Gina was there and asking my dad who he stabbed and did he murder someone? And she kept pushing the issue with my dad. So my mom asked my aunt Gina to leave. So there would be no more drama because she knew how my dad would eventually react. Good thing he was high off of meth or heroin or both or whatever. My uncle Coney told me those were his two drugs of choice. And no, I'm not Samoan. It's just my uncle Coney um, was stationed in Hawaii for five years and in Hawaii when your name is Tony. They call you Coney. So he liked his new name and kept it. And so can you d continue down this, um, this sick tunnel so you can grasp the harsh reality I was living? My dad used to starve me. See, my mom was usually the only one working a stable job. She, she even went to nursing school to become the nurse she was. And so my mom would get her hard-earned well-deserved paycheck and instead of letting my mom buy food for all of us as a family my dad would steal my mom's paycheck and spend it on drugs and sometimes you know I would not eat for up to four days at a time and one time I was so hungry and my dad was made me stay in the room while he scarfed down a whole bowl of chicken drumsticks and I just watched by my doorway while he pigged out on all that chicken <laughs> and so I finally got bold enough to walk out and ask him for a piece and he slapped me in the face and said go back to my room. I was still hungry and heartbroken so I cried my heart out. Another sick memory I had on a different day was when I was starving and I hadn't had eaten like three days and I asked my dad for something to eat so he goes into the restroom and comes out with a paper plate with shit on it and he said here is your food. So it was at that time I knew that's exactly what I was to my dad a piece of shit in his eyes, but my dad not, did not love me at all, and I learned to accept that, but if I had the ability to kill him at the time, that, then I would have a thousand times over. It was at that point where 
I felt that my dad put me, you know, through so much abuse that there was no painfulness of the flesh nor exercising of the soul that my dad had not already put me through. But I was wrong. I didn't know what pain and torment was until he started hanging me in the closet, handcuffed by my wrist, till my wrist would bleed for like 10 to 12 hours, which was the duration of my mom's nursing shift. My dad would put a toy rocking horse under my feet, but I could barely reach it. If I stretched my feet and toes out as far as I could, then I got a little relief if I stood on my very tip of my toes. But I couldn't only do that for so long. I was only four and did not have the arm or wing strength to barely hold myself up. So I practically hung there until my wrist bled and my arms were exhausted. First time he hung me in the closet, he didn't even put nothing under my feet at all. He just let me hang there for like 10 minutes and it felt like my arms were going to literally rip out of my socket. So I started screaming in pain and he finally came into the closet, opened it and he said, what? And I said, my arms are going to break. And that's when he put the rocking horse under my feet. But before he closed <clears throat> me back in the closet, he threw a combination of hard punches all over my torso. And I knew there was also spirits at our apartment because I used to see them at night. When I first seen them, I was laying in my bed one night and I looked across my room and there was this gray smoke looking cloud moving across the room. And I was kind of scared, you know, I didn't know what it was and I acted like I didn't see it. I put my head under my covers and I made a small peephole and I was watching this smoke cloud just hover around my room and the smoky cloud turned into like shadows on my wall. They it was like it was put on a show for me. The shadows would turn into different like people and shapes and animals and objects. And one time when I was hanging in the closet, I heard the shadows. They were whispering in my ear and I couldn't tell what they were saying, but I was scared and I kept my eyes closed the whole time I was in the closet. I could feel them flying around me in my body and one of the spirits crest my hair and there was nothing I could do but hang there in this living hell with spirits in the closet not knowing what their intention was and I couldn't make out what they were saying but it sounded like they were up to no good because they were poking me in the torso while I was hanging there in the pitch black dark and they were laughing and whispering in a demonic kind of way well things started to get even weirder when I had my first and only astral projection and I say one because I fought my way out of astral projecting all the other times and it's hard to do, but once you get the hang of it, it gets easier. But always an unpleasant experience for me because when you ask to project, you feel like you're dying. Your spirit is leaving your body, and this is how it began. When I was laying in bed, I fell into this paralysis. It was like I was asleep, but in a trance. I, I was like, I had no control over my whole body. I couldn't move one single muscle. And I seemed like this bright, blurry like light in front of me. It was like a portal of some kind and next thing you know I'm passing through it and I had a rush of butterflies to my stomach and I felt like my heart was going to stop or something. It was the feeling of my soul leaving my body. It was a disconnected feeling so after I came through because I had no idea what was happening or how to stop it, my spirit just up and went through and left my body laying in the bed and I'm now in this dark room i never seen it was a dark dungeon looking room and I seen a couple of doors and what looked like a couple of glass potion looking bottles and I looked back towards this the direction of the portal 
I just came through and where my body was laying there floating, like I was still in bed, but my bed was not there anymore. It was invisible. All I could see was my body just floating in suspension. And there was this blue like electricity surrounding my body. And it looked like I was about three feet away from myself. So I turned back to investigating the room and there were these three figures there all of a sudden they were wearing these cloaks. They appeared out of nowhere and they had no faces. It was like pitch black where their faces should have been. And then one of them snatched me up by my arm real fast and aggressively like to bring me back to my body. And next thing you know, I went back through and I felt as if I brought something back with me or something. Because every night for about a week after all this, I felt like hands on me restraining me at night. And then the hands restraining me continued later on down in my life even they would hold me down. There were about six hands on me, so I figured it was three. Then I remembered the three figures when I was astral projected, but I don't know if it was them, but those hands would hold me down and tickle me even nonstop to the point it became so uncomfortable that I would struggle and fight them off me. And these entities, whatever they were, they enjoyed messing with me. I got so uncomfortable feeling about it. I told my mom, what had been happening and she said it was my wild imagination but I told her mom it's really happening I could feel them you know holding me I feel their hands on me you know and and she was like you know you're just minds just you know you have this really crazy imagination and you know you're having crazy dreams and so I was like but I couldn't convince her so I was on my own like I was from day one so it seems and <clears throat> so dysfunctional family life and weird ghostly shit was my early on training then came my second experience with loss of life um my first was when I lost my white cat named snowball she got sick and died at the foot of my bed <clears throat> but then one day my mom borrowed some money till she got her next check so we can go eat she um me and her went grocery shopping and my dad stayed home with my little brother. Me and my mom went out for a while and I told my mom what my dad was doing to me and how he was treating me while she was at work and how, you know, he would hang me in the closet and all that. And so we came back home from grocery, you know, shopping and my dad was in the front of, of the place when my mom drove up with us and he spoke to my mom for some reason in private, like on the side where I couldn't hear and all of a sudden my mom wanted me to go straight to my room and she like tried to hurry me to my room. And as I was going through the living room, I seen blood and guts all over the wall and the couch. And before my mom came into my room and told me my dad accidentally shot my black cat lady with his shotgun, I already knew it. And I knew that that is not even what happened. I felt it in the pit of my stomach. So I'm sad and crying because I lost my only friend. And here is the real fucked up part about this situation is my little brother's finger that my cat supposedly bit, but not bit at all. My little brother's finger was purple like somebody smashed it. His fingernail was about to fall off and my mom noticed it. And there was no way the cat did that to my brother's finger. Lady was a gentle cat. And see, one time me and my mom and my dad noticed that Lady would lick like baby food and whatever else off my little brother's fingers so my dad used that situation to blame my cat for hurting my little brother's finger and he lied and said lady was biting his finger and he said he was trying to protect my little brother so 
he could justify blowing my cat away and get away with abusing my little brother. Because I knew how crazy and sick my dad was, he got a throw out of abusing and causing pain to younger people and animals. If he got to kill the animal in the process, then that was a bonus for him. So I clearly knew what really happened. But plus, I remember the time we were in the garage, um, me and my dad at one of um, our relatives from his side of the family. And my dad was using some tools to work on his car and he called me over to him and he took my hand and pinched the tip of my fingers real hard with some pliers. He held the pinch till I started crying and he did it more than once. Also one time he, when um, we were leaving somewhere, I was getting my dad's car to go somewhere and I don't remember where, but when I was getting in the car, my hand was accidentally in between the door where the hinges are because it was I was trying to crawl into the car. I was still really short at that time. And my dad slams the car door shut knowing that my hand was where the door slam would slam on it. And thank God it, it didn't get my whole hand. It just got three of my fingers. So to this very day, I am convinced about the obviousness of him smashing my brother's finger and then murdering my cat. And not only that was my, my mom and aunt's also was suspicious about what really happened. So, so was my uncle Steve and And I never seen my Uncle Steve that angry. He was threatening to call the cops and have my dad put in jail if he found out what my dad really did. And then my Uncle Steve said he will fight my dad and kick his ass for hurting my brother. And my mom said to Steve, calm down. There's no way you could take on Louie, which was my dad's name. And my mom told my uncle that my dad would kill him, so... My uncle Steve was also in the military, but he still couldn't stop my dad, and he knew that. So my uncle calmed down, but still was very upset. Well, somehow my dad weaseled his way out of this one. Nobody did anything. The truth was people were scared of my dad, so nobody did anything. So things mellowed down for about a week, and it must have been because my dad knew he was being watched. And so this one morning, I wake up bright and early to the sound of my mom and dad fighting. They were yelling and smashing and breaking things. I heard glass shatter. So I walked around the house and it was like empty. I couldn't find my mom or my dad. I'd seen a lot of broken things around. And I finally heard my mom and dad yelling again. They had brought the fight outside in front of the house. So I walked out to where my mom and dad were yelling and when I walked up to my mom, she was like, oh my God, Bruce, the bottom of your feet are all cut up from glass. And I didn't realize I'd walked through a bunch of glass in the house that they, you know, it broke from fighting. So my mom, you know, wrapped me up in this blanket and she put me, you know, we got in the car and she drove to the hospital and they removed big shards of glass out the bottom of my feet and gave me lots of stitches. And so now it's almost the end of my dad's nightmare. And there was a more terrifying one not far away. So the final night I'll ever see my dad again, my mom and my dad got into a really bad fight because my mom confronted him about abusing me. And he was drinking really heavy like most nights. And he denied everything. And then he went into this rage and slapped my mom. And my mom slapped him back. And I was worried for my mom that my dad was going to hurt or kill her. So I heard them fighting before 
And many nights I stayed up in bed listening to them scream, hit, and yell at each other. And But this was the biggest fight I had ever heard them get into. And my dad was always in the wrong. Plus he was evil, but not as evil as scary as Roy. But he would still get... <clears throat> we'll get to Roy in a minute. But um, so my dad snapped. It went into a rage and pushed my mom against the wall so hard that she hurt her back. Then he picked her up, body slammed her, then he gave her two black eyes. And so way later on to like two or three in the morning, my worthless dad finally passed out from drunken stupidity. And I'd finally passed out exhausted from listening to them fight all night. Then I woke up from the sound of sirens from the police. My mother told me what happened when I was asleep. She told me that she almost murdered my dad that, that night that was the closest she ever came to killing someone. And she told me that after he fell asleep, she grabbed his shotgun and knew it was loaded and she put it to the barrel right against his temple as he was laying there passed out. And she was crying and shaking and she had so much anger and hurt and emotion running through her. She was one second away from pulling the trigger, but... She said it was like the voice of God intervened and told her, don't do it. You know, I don't know if it was God or her own conscience, but I don't doubt God either. But she listened and she knew that she had to be there for me and my little brother instead of spending possibly life in prison. So she called the cops on him instead while he was laying there clueless that he almost got his skull and brains blown over the place. And then the cops show up handcuff him real quick and literally drag him away as he was being drugged away by the cops he said he was going to kill us as soon as he got out so the cops recommended to my mom that we leave and find another place to live because they told her that he'll be out soon because they could only hold him for the weekend and reason being is back in the 80s domestic violence laws were not that strict or harsh so people in those times would only stay a weekend in jail for beating up their wife and abusing their kids you know and what things didn't really get crazy until actually the the oj trials is when um when those laws came a lot more strict because oj simpson getting away with murder so me and my mom quick packed up our stuff we left to stay at a battered women and children's shelter for a couple of weeks and that did not last long because after me being there for two weeks and me going around grabbing women by their private area and grabbing glasses off of people's faces and crushing them with my hands then stomping them with my feet. For some reason, I saw people with glasses as a target. I would see someone with glasses targeting on them and grab and smash. <laughs> I even did it to some kid my age who had a temper like me and we got into this little fight and this little wrestling match and stuff. And uh, it was a pretty even match. And I realized later on that in life that I was acting out because I was angry inside from being abused and I wanted to hurt people, especially I wished I was big and strong enough at that time to kill my dad because after I beat him to death, let him live for four hours, the pain kicked in from his near-death beating would consist of beating every inch of his body. Then I would finish by stabbing an orange hot metal spike through each testicle then slowly poke two more Glowing hot spikes, one slowly through his eyeball all the way to the back of his skull and then one straight through his heart at the same time. That is after I would have slowly peeled off all his fingers and toenails and skinned him alive. Now back to the shelter. So all the 
other families got together and had a big talk and decided it would be best if me and my mom leave the shelter because they could not provide the help that I needed or have training to deal with a four-year-old child who had been severely abused. So my mom had no idea where we were going to go. So she, out of desperation, took me to my therapist. that I just recently acquired and told my mom, the therapist told my mom that I should be admitted to Harbor General in Los Angeles. So out of all things, this happened on my fifth birthday. So I, I speak with this lady counselor and she ran me through a series of questions. But her most important question she asked me is if somebody made me angry enough, would I kill them? And I said, yes. And my little five-year-old heart sincerely meant it. And I was very angry and confused inside, so the counselor made a decision based on my response that I admitted that if somebody made me angry, if I could and had the chance, would I take their life? And I said yes. So they fooled me by bringing me into this little unit where kids my age been through similar experiences and they pretended like they were just showing me around this place that I could possibly, you know, stay and kids were there playing, you know, all kinds of board games and it looked kind of fun. And they asked me if, if I liked the place and I thought it looked cool. I thought it was a fun place, you know, where I could play and my mom would just come pick me up when I was done playing. And they sang me happy birthday with a cake. And But then my mom was, was being escorted to the door entrance of, of this place. And I remember I was one of the, it was one of the most painful experiences I could remember. I started running after my mom and she went out the door and I looked and seen my mom crying looking at me through this little square box window and I couldn't understand why I was being ripped away from my mom but it hurt so bad so I started crying my heart out and I must have cried in front of that door for like three hours straight and welcome to my new reality so I stayed there for a few months in the meantime my mom whose name is Deborah, by the way, she got it worked out for me to finally leave the mental ward for disturbed children. And I did learn to be more well-behaved through a little structure and discipline and more abuse. So I was physically and mentally abused by staff at more than one hospital. So I was there for 10 minutes before another kid there seen me getting bullied. And he taught me how to stand up for myself. And I did not have anyone to teach me except this kid just who I met and taught me a valuable lesson. But I, it, I took right to it. After that, I would fight back, and I did not start off well. I lost my first few fights, but when you grow in an atmosphere like that, um, you know, you're forced to fight almost every other day. You learn how to fight, and I was trying to be nobody's bitch, you know. So I left the place because my mom spoke to my Aunt Gina, rest in peace, and my Aunt Gina spoke to my Uncle John, May he also rest in peace. And so my Uncle John said me and my mom could go live with him since my Aunt Gina and Uncle John were separated. My Uncle John had three-bedroom house. He was also fully blind. My Uncle John made good money working for the state of California, helping invent and think of ways to make it easier and safer for blind people to live. And I remember my Uncle John used to get these boxes in the mail and they would come with cassette tapes and some items. And those cassettes were recordings of someone's explaining what the items were with great detail. And my uncle would 
touch and feel the items like he was trying to feel every dimension of the item so he would know every aspect of it and then develop his ideas. I love my Uncle John. He was good to me and my mom and taught me a lot for a blind man. Taught me how to cook, how, taught me how to ride my bike, taught me how to, you know, tie my shoes. And I remember when my mom was driving with me over to my uncle's, I was thinking finally a fresh new start. It was nice, bright, shiny day. I felt good about this. So we finally arrive at my uncle's house and... What do you know? I'm back in El Monte, and this time a different part of El Monte, and this time instead of an apartment, I'm living in a house. So me and my mom arrive at my Uncle John's, and my blind uncle makes his way out of the front door with nobody guiding him. He walked and got his way around well for a blind person. He brought us in the house through these sliding glass doors into the backyard, and my uncle introduced himself to me and my mom as my Uncle John. So he told me to stay in the backyard while him and my mom go in and talk about the new living arrangements. But before him and my mom went inside, I asked my uncle if I could play in the yard. He said, Bruce, you can play wherever you want in this whole yard. So <clears throat> him and my mom went inside and talked for a while. And I had the whole yard to myself. There was three trees in the yard, one in the middle one in the far right of the yard near my bedroom window. Then there was one in the orange. There was the orange tree. It it was the left hand. It was in the left hand corner of the yard. It looked just like an ordinary orange tree. But okay, we'll have to stop here. This is Brucey Barr again, bringing you that dark poetry. I call this one extreme sacrifice. Murder, kill, stab, rape, pull your guts out through your ass and put it on God's plate. Offering as a sacrifice to clean my slate, I smell liquid copper dripping from my face. All your blood and screaming has put me in my place. My misery has been replaced with God's happiness and taste. Burn a little fire where your flesh is in place. If I do not do it proper, it will be a disgrace. Sorry, I need your body. I came through with a haste. Your blood I must displace, spraying all over the place. God loves the smell of metal, now he's granted me grace. Your plasma filled up in a vase, put inside the satanic circle godly place. Five red candles put at each corner place. Stars turn upside down in this space. Welcome to my altar of terror, with all your body parts on it, surrounded by six mirrors, from which demons will appear. I took your skin off, stretched it over mine, pretend I'm you, disappear. Bless the morning star, for it has taken your soul. Do not fear. These sacrificial rules I must adhere. You're already dead, yet I still hear you screaming in my ear. Extreme sacrifice, my absolution is here.